Yeah, really good to be with you this morning. Thanks for your kind words, Mark, for sharing a little bit of that story. And Andy, thanks for bringing this up for me. Appreciate it. I want to make sure that wherever Andy sets this, that everybody can kind of see it, because I'm going to be doing some doodling, if you will, right up here. Is that okay? Everybody on this side? Be able to see it okay? How about you guys? Ish? Do you need a... You good? Okay. All right. Specifically you, sir. You can see it okay? Right on. Okay, man. Okay, guys, I just want to invite you to open up your hands like this. We're just going to say, welcome, Holy Spirit. Okay? Uh, Holy Spirit, you're so welcome here. i got some stuff that you have taught me and others have taught me that has helped me so much. We just invite you to soften up our hearts in any areas where it's hard ground. We welcome you in. Thanks. Amen. All right. A couple of years ago, several years ago, I guess I guess now, I was leading worship down in Colorado Springs for this gathering of missionaries. They were from all over the world. And uh, they were kind of a conservative bunch. They weren't like super rowdy or anything. It was more of a conservative denomination type thing. And they brought in this guy named Ron to speak to them. After the worship was done, I kind of went back to the back. And, you know, I'm doing these conferences all the time, leading worship or speaking at these things. And sometimes... Your heart isn't like super connected to what's going on in the moment. So I just slipped back there, grabbed my, my cell phone, and started you know, going through emails and Facebook and all that stuff as he was talking. And the first words out of his mouth, which is kind of what permissioned me to start looking at my phone, was he goes, I'm going to talk to you today about biblical grieving. And I was like, and where's my phone? Because I don't need, I don't think, to hear that message. Maybe these other missionaries do, but I don't. And so... He goes, if, by the way, if your first instinct was to pick up your cell phone, start checking your email or your Facebook, this is especially for you. I was like, he wasn't looking at me, but I was just like, oh, man. So I set my phone down and leaned in. He said, I want you to turn in your best to Matthew chapter 5. If you haven't brought your Bibles this morning, it's okay. We've got a, a screen up here. You can uh, view the verses, even though totally welcome you and invite you to bring the Bible with you. It's really good. So if you have that, you can go ahead and turn there. If it's on your phone or device, you can turn that. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Let's read this together. And let's do it all in unison, shall we? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. All right. He started talking. And he's like, okay, so here's the deal. It says, blessed are those who mourn. The word mourn right there is the same word for grieving. Now, there's a difference between grief and grieving. Grief is something you feel. Grieving is something you do. It's something you do with those feelings. So this morning, I'm going to be speaking to you about what to do with feelings of loss. Now, this is an operative word that he was talking about. Can I have that Bible verse up here again? And by the way, can we thank the folks back here doing sound and screens because they're just so wonderful? Blessed are those who mourn. For they'll be comforted. He said, now, a lot of times um, we don't understand what grieving or mourning is. It's actually loss. And there's all kinds of different losses that you can encounter in life. Lots of times our brains naturally go to the big losses. The loss of a uh, family member. Maybe the loss of a job. Something a little bit bigger that kind of forces you into a feeling of grief or loss. He said, but you know what's interesting? The big losses, they, sometimes they can kind of take you out, but most of the time, the types of losses that take you out are the types of losses that are medium-sized or smaller-sized. He said, some of you might think, because we think that um, loss, we usually put that in a big loss category, like I said before, loss of relationship. But he said, you guys are losing stuff every day. So let me give you an example. By show of hands, has any had any expectations that didn't work out the way that you expected it to? Anybody? Yeah. Anybody been falsely accused of anything ever? Yeah. Have you ever had a dream that didn't pan out? All of us have encountered loss. It's not just the big stuff, it's the little stuff. It's the medium-sized stuff that tends to multiply over time. So check out what this verse says. Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. 
If that's true, if you are blessed with comfort when you mourn, that's what that verse is saying, then I'll bet the opposite is true too. If you don't mourn or grieve your losses in life, you will not be comforted. Now, a lot of times, we're not doing this on purpose. It's not like we're refusing the comfort of God purposefully, but we are actually refusing the comfort of God because we're not grieving or mourning our losses. Does that make sense? All right. So, let me uh, go to this this board here. So this is real interesting. I was down in Colorado Springs listening to this guy talk. He said, there's a continuum in our souls. And on one side is pain. You have to forgive my handwriting. There you go. And on the other side is joy. This is on the inside of our souls currently. For you, for me, for everybody. Pain joy. He said this, when we go through things like losses and we don't know how to process it or deal with it, what we typically do, we go through something that's painful loss, we bury the pain underneath the surface. We just push it down. Because we don't know what else to do with it. We've never taught how to grieve or how to process loss. He said, when you bury things like difficult losses in your life in an effort to feel less pain, it actually moves your ability to feel pain in toward the middle of the continuum. And every time this happens, it changes how much pain you feel. So you actually lose this ability to pain. He said the problem is that your pain and your joy are connected. So when you bury something in an effort to feel less pain, you also lose some joy. I'm sitting in the back of this room when he's talking. He said, this happens over and over again. Sometimes it's a, a small loss. Sometimes it's a big loss. Sometimes it's a medium-sized loss. And loss after loss after loss, which we have all encountered, you end up in a really narrow space in your soul. You start living out of this, and this becomes normal for you. He said, usually, what people associate this feeling with is the word numb. And usually, there's not a lot of feeling like, I've been in this plenty of times where, because I didn't know how to grieve, I buried all of this stuff internally. I just started feeling numb about life in general. And I, sometimes I'd even long to feel something, but I couldn't. Like sometimes I just I want some kind of a breakthrough, and I couldn't get there. I was so numb. He said this also. There's one primary emotion that hangs out in the bottom here in the numb space, and it's anger. I was sitting in the back, and I was like, oh, no. Because at that time, I was feeling super numb and totally angry. And he was just like, oh, man. He goes, you know how it is. Some people just push your buttons. If you push the right button, you lose your stuff, man. You're just like, ah, automatically angry. Whether external or internal, we lose our stuff when we get into this numb place. He said, when you bury things in an effort to feel less pain, it actually looks like some specific things in your life. And there's not that many options. There's like only a few options that humans know how to deal with pain. So let me illustrate a few. Some people, when they encounter loss, they eat. Some people don't eat. They'll starve themselves. Some people eat and gorge themselves and throw it all up. Some people are just in so much pain, they start cutting themselves. Some people, when they encounter loss, they just look at porn because it makes them feel like they're in control and their sense of intimacy and closeness with others starts getting further and further away. It starts shutting down your heart. You bury it, and it shuts you down. Some people run to relationships. You can never be alone. You can't be silent. You can't be alone. There's no time for reflection. There's no time for introspection. Zero time for self-awareness. You're just always got to be doing something, moving. Always got to be with somebody or accomplishing something. That's how you're dealing with your loss. The guy that was talking about this down in Colorado Springs, he was probably, I don't know, he was he was um, he was probably like maybe five nine and three hundred pounds or something like that, and he was like, "Some of you guys work out when you don't know how to deal with your loss." Then he stops and he goes, 
If any of you do this, before you get set free, please lay your hands on me. (laughs) I was dying laughing. He goes, some of you, the way that you deal with losses, you watch entertainment. You'll binge watch Netflix all the time. Like how many options could there be? Some some of you will do drugs, illicit, illegal drugs, or legal drugs in order to deal with the pain. Just keep pushing it down and pushing it down and pushing it down. He said this. He goes, Jesus is a genius because this is what he built on the inside of us, this continuum of pain and joy, and connected because he knew this. Every time we encounter loss, we're going to look for comfort. I don't know if you've noticed this about you, but anytime you encounter loss, you'll be like, I need something. Or I need to do this. I need to do that. It's like you're drawn magnetically toward like comforting yourself. Guess what, guys? This is everybody in the room. This is everybody you know. This is everybody on planet Earth. We look for ways to comfort ourselves when we're encountering loss. It's everybody we know. <laughs> So cute. This is everybody we know. And this is you. This isn't everybody else you know. This is you too. So Jesus is a genius because in John chapter 14 and John chapter 15, he refers to the Holy Spirit as the comforter. Check this out. Jesus knows that we're going to encounter loss in our life every day. He knows because He wired us to look for comfort after we've lost something. Which means that He wired you up to find Him. He knew you were going to get blown up life. That's how living in a sin-filled place works. We're going to get destroyed from time to time and in little ways every day. Some days, the big ones. Some days, the medium-sized ones. But every day, there's loss. He designed us to look for comfort because He designed us to look for Him. Ooh, that's good. So this is why so many people find Jesus in times of suffering and loss and pain. Because at the end, they don't have anything else. They're trying porn. They're trying eating. They're trying working. They're trying working out. They're trying relationships. They're trying entertainment. They're trying all these things. They're trying drugs, trying alcohol. They're trying to drown down that pain, but it's not working. And after a while, people get to the bottom because they know, because they're not stupid. They know, man, this is not working for me. I need something else. And that's where Jesus rolls in. That's where Holy Spirit rolls in. And He begins to give you comfort. Back to the verse right up here. It says, Blessed are those who mourn. For they will be comforted. A beautiful promise. A beautiful promise. If we don't grieve, if we don't mourn our losses, then we will not be comforted by God. Not because He doesn't want to. Because He set up something, a principle for us to find Him that involves humility on our part. Does that make sense? Everybody tracking with me so far? Okay. Now, I was down in Colorado Springs. This guy gave a beautiful illustration. He said, Have you ever been in a pool or a body of water and got an inflated ball and try to shove it underneath the surface? Anybody? Show of hands? Yeah. What happens when you push that underneath the surface is it starts to resist against you. What's that? Yeah, it pops, right? When you push it down beneath the surface, it starts resisting you and getting a little squirrely underneath the water. Have you tried this? Yeah. And then what happens when you let go? It pops up, it kind of accelerates toward the surface, rips up out of the water, but he said this, it will rarely resurface in the same place you pushed it down. And this is true of our souls. We'll encounter some loss or some pain, we'll push it down, but it resurfaces off to the right or off to the left. Sometimes it'll zing up behind us or it'll shoot out ahead of you and you can see it coming. He goes, have you ever tried that with two balls or three or four? It's like, how many appendages do you have to manage all of this stuff under the surface? He goes, most of you guys and gals in the room, you're not dealing with one thing that you've buried or two things that you've buried or three things you've buried. You've got a whole lifetime worth of stuff that you have not grieved. And you're trying to manage it all underneath the surface. That is exhausting. 
You know, Jesus said in John 10.10, I came so you could have life and have it more abundantly. And when we spend all of our energy trying to manage the loss beneath the surface of our lives, that is not life. That is dysfunction. That's what these are up here for. Mark had this great idea, or Kara did, I think, or somebody did, about having pieces of luggage stacked up here. And, and uh, I guess you guys are still getting some um, some luggage. This, By the way, if you have extra luggage, bring it. You know, I don't think they'll keep it. So that's the good news. But just bring it for the sermon prop. But that's sitting back there because that's a picture of our soul. All of us have suitcases in our soul. The suitcase of the soul is filled with all kinds of weird stuff. And Jesus wants to invite you into a process of unpacking that suitcase and creating more space in your soul for closeness and friendship with Him. Does that make sense? So most people... Because they've never been taught about biblical grief, they just push stuff, push stuff down. Now they've got a suitcase worth or a lifetime worth of stuff that they have not grieved. I was sitting in the back of this room and I was like, oh no. Because I've been like really intentional about forgiving in my life. I have been extremely intentional about forgiving. I don't want to be a bitter, unforgiving guy. But you can forgive people and not grieve. You can forgive others and not be comforted by God. <laughs> I am like walking proof that I have a lifetime worth of stuff that I had not grieved at that point. Lots of people will actually spend a lot of their life, once they recognize that their soul is sick, try to spend their life managing what's under the surface or, or more particularly what rips out of the surface of their souls. So they'll go to AA or something like that. They're just trying to manage all the stuff that's ripping out of their souls. And sometimes in, in environments like Celebrate Recovery or AA or different meetings like that, you actually do get down to the roots of that stuff. But a lot of times, because people don't know the mechanics, they don't know actually how to do the grieving process, they never get down to the root of it. All they're doing is behavior management. They're just trying to keep it together. Now, is that true across the board 100%? No. Some people get totally radically set free by God, and it's awesome. But lots and lots and lots of people are spending so much time, energy, and effort trying to manage stuff that's buried, keep it from getting out of the water. Now, here's another interesting thing. I don't know if you know this, but there's an actual scientific process for disposing of trash, your garbage. You know, Erie has a couple of trash hills. (laughs) They're actually engaging in a scientific process. They're not just piling garbage up there with no intention or no purpose. Because here's the science. All the chemicals involved in all of our trash that we throw away in our big, you know, blue, uh, you know, gray and blue lidded orange or whatever bins that we have that they come and grab, all of that garbage is a combination of chemicals. When those chemicals get piled pound by pound by pound, it starts compressing down, and when that happens, it creates heat at the bottom of the pile. And fires start. So there's an actual process for disposing of your trash. What you want to do is you want to put a layer of trash and a layer of dirt and a layer of trash and a layer of dirt because as those things compound, that dirt will be to mitigate the burn. This is why so frequently in um, other countries where you'll see these pictures of these trash dumps, everything's on fire. Well, part of it's because they're just living by the trash dump and they're trying to stay warm. But there's this whole other thing happening there in those dumps. That is piles of trash getting compounded in fires. And he said this, this is happening in your soul too. He goes, you guys have pounds and pounds, years and all these different losses and memories that are compacting in your soul and it's starting a fire in you and you know it. There's this unsettling burning at the core of who you are. And if you're honest, you're looking around the landscape of your life. It is full of smoke. It's hazy. It smells weird. It's like there's that's the landscape of many of your souls. Why? Because you're bad people? No. Because you haven't learned to properly dispose of the garbage that comes at you. You don't know how to grieve losses. So... I'm just going to give you a few different points if you're taking notes this morning or if you're online. Um, I'm going to give you some notes, nine different things to remember about how to grieve. Because I'm sure, are you guys interested at all in learning how to grieve? Dealing with this uh, 
some of us have a burning on the inside of our heart, not a good way, but actually bad, you know. Some of us are trying to take care of all of our pain every single day, and we don't have a lot of joy, and God wants to help with that this morning. So here's the process. Number one, you want to invite Jesus to hang out with you. Okay, now, some of us come from a really religious background like I do. The idea, so I'm using that verbiage very intentionally. Invite Jesus to hang out with you. How does that work? You just say, hey, Jesus, can we spend some time together this afternoon? Can we hang out? Because I want to process with you some of the loss in my life. All right? So it's a prayer. Hey, Jesus, Holy Spirit, will you hang out with me this afternoon? And me. Okay, that's number one. Number two. When Jesus and you are hanging out, you want to ask Jesus, Hey, can you bring up a memory that I've buried? And then you just wait for a minute. If a memory zings to your mind, something that you've buried that you know you haven't dealt with, then that's a great place to start. I will say this. After having done this for years now, sometimes the memories that surface are weird. They're not normal like memories that you'd expect. Sometimes they're a little bit funky. But I'll tell you what, Holy Spirit is amazing at what He does. He is so, so good. And you can really trust Him to take you to a healthy and safe spot. He knows where to start. Just let Him do His thing. Now, I will say this. This grieving process. If you don't, when you uh, ask Jesus, hey, help me remember a memory and nothing comes to mind, what you can do is use your brain. This is exciting. Followers of Jesus can actually use their brains. This is great. A lot of us always look for that like mystical, you know, unexplainable, supernatural experience with God. But good news, guys, you can use your brains. So you can just say, what is my area of biggest pain right now? Let's start there. Okay. So hang with Jesus. Ask him for a memory. When you get a memory or when you start going through this area of biggest pain in your life, all you do is you, you look at Jesus and have a conversation with him and tell him, hey, so here's what happened to me. Now tell him in detail. Tell him what you were wearing, what day it was, if it was a sunny day, a cloudy day, what was happening around that specific memory. Tell him all the details, what you said, what the other person said, the text that you got, the email that you got, all of that stuff. Tell him everything like he wasn't there. Just fill him in on every detail that you have. Now here's an interesting thing about this process. Some of us, in doing this, will actually discount what happened to us by comparing our loss to the loss of others. So we'll say, ah, I mean, it's not that bad. It's not like I'm a little kid in Thailand that's being sold into sex slavery and, you know, being taken advantage of 15 times a night. It's not that bad. You know, I lost a dream. So what? And it's not that bad. The guy down in Colorado Springs said this, if you ever associate your pain and your loss to somebody else's and by doing so, diminish what happened to you, you are in trouble and you need help. I was in the back. I was like, that's my entire life. That's what I do. I did not what happened to me by comparing it to the greater loss of someone else. That's not healthy. That's not good. That means you need help. I was in the back. I was like, I need help. I need it bad. He said, second of all, you need to talk about how you felt in that memory. He said, now, I know that some of you, uh, are, your feelings are shut down. And some of you actually feel like like some of the men in the room, like, I don't know what I was feeling. I'm, I feel disconnected from my feelings. Said, By the way, being disconnected from your feelings, that's not a man thing. That's a sign of unhealth. Some of us more naturally have a connection with our feelings. Some of us have to work at it. Like for me, I deal with things way more in a cerebral, logic-based way. I don't, I'm not naturally in touch with my feelings. I had to learn how to engage my heart in order to be a more healthy person. I'm still on that journey. I definitely don't have that figured out. I'm, I'm like learning about it. Some of you are in the same boat. But doing this whole like, I, I got thick skin, nothing bothers me. You know, it doesn't matter what comes at me. It's easy. I just keep plowing through. That's a sign of unhealth. That's not a badge to wear on your shoulder like, I'm thick skin and I'm bad to the bones and nothing bothers me. That just means you're unhealthy. I was in the back like, oh, man. 
thought I was awesome. Turns out, not so much. You've got to talk about how you feel. When that memory's coming up, you're hanging out with Jesus. Talk, tell him how you felt. Now, it's important also to tell Jesus in this process to tell him how you feel now because sometimes we buy into this idea that time heals wounds. Anybody bought into that one? Come on, all of us buy into that idea. That's why we avoid stuff and hope it gets better over time. No, time will heal that one. Well, guess what? That's a horrible analogy unless you're talking about a bruise or a scrape or a cut. When you're talking about a shattered ankle in a car accident, time isn't going to heal that, guys. It, it Yes, it works with cuts and bruises for most of us. Time will heal that wound. But when something is shattered, you've got to go to a specialist, man. You're going to like stop doing what you're doing, clear out your schedule, go to the best doctor you can find because you don't want to be 60 years old, not able to play with your grandkids because you had a blown ankle when you are 25. You're going to go get that thing figured out. What's well, crazy, we live in a culture that really puts a lot of emphasis and focus on physical health and taking care of yourself physically. But we're like almost not even on the grid when we're talking about caring for our souls. And that's why I love that you're doing this this whole um, soul care and freedom series. Because actually drawing attention to stuff that we naturally neglect and that our culture doesn't champion as important. You guys, this is super important. Most times we sit here and think, what I don't know, what I don't know about what's going on inside, that's not going to kill me. Well, guess what? That's a lie. What you don't know about what's going on in your heart is killing you, and it's affecting your relationships too. Super important that we take care of our souls. Super, super, super important. Can't emphasize it enough. So if you're hanging with Jesus, He brings up a memory, or you just deal with your area of biggest pain. You don't compare your losses to the losses of others and diminish what happened to you. You're sitting there telling Jesus how you felt in the moment of that memory. Be as open and honest and vulnerable as possible. It's super important to talk about how you feel now. Even if it's numb, if it's, I don't feel anything, tell him that. Tell him. Talk to him like a friend. Tell him what's going on. The next step is hugely important. The next step is saying, hey Jesus, where were you in this memory? Now check this out. Jesus said He'd never leave you or forsake you. Which means, He was there in the moment that you buried. He was there. So that freaks us out because we're like, why didn't He stop it? What the heck? Where was He? And on all of those things. Here's the reality. He wasn't the one that hurt you. The decisions we make as humans have impact on others, don't they? If God went around managing every single situation and making sure that nobody got hurt ever, you know what he would be doing? He'd be violating your ability to make choices. He'd be taking away your choice. Because sometimes, I know you've done this if you're live on planet Earth, you hurt somebody intentionally. Sometimes you just hurt people because you're mad. You lash out at them and hurt them. Well, if Jesus was there just like, nope, not going to let that happen, nope, not going to let that happen, he's taking away your ability to make a choice. And when He does that, it removes love from the equation because love is a choice. We tracking? We okay? Alright, here we go. Thank you, Mark, for that feedback. Everybody else okay? Mark's in. So you ask, hey Jesus, where are you at in this memory? Let me tell you a quick story. I was teaching at this uh, missions school. There was a 65-year-old woman in this in class and... Um, I was doing this exercise where we would just sit and write like a large section of Scripture out with our hands. All the students were jumping in and they were just writing it. I noticed that she wasn't. She was from Scotland. Feisty little Scottish lady. Wonderful. She's sitting there just kind of... She wasn't like disengaged, but she felt like... I felt like there was a wall there. And I was going to walk over to her and be like, Hey, are you okay? What's going on? You know. But I just felt like this cautioning from the Holy Spirit. Like, ah, don't mess with her. So I just walked around and prayed while the students did this exercise. And at the end, I was looking for feedback. And um, she raised her hand. She said, I didn't do the exercise because it triggered a memory. I said, well, what was the memory? She goes, when I was in grade school, <clears throat> I was going to a Catholic school. 
And the professor that was in charge of our religion class was an atheist. Whoops. <laughs> Uh-oh. That's a bad hire, I'm pretty sure. And so for punishment, this Catholic atheist uh, teacher would make all the kids write out Bible verses for punishment. And he would jeer them and say, Oh yeah, God likes you more now because you're writing the Bible. You're being good little cat boys and girls. You know, he was like he was adding insult to injury throughout that whole process. And since that time, she had not physically handwritten a Bible verse because it triggered the memory. Well, I was about to tell her this idea that I had while she was telling the story. I was like, what I was gonna say, what if you just offered to God like a writing of a verse as worship to him and see if he'll heal you up. But right when I was about to say that, again, Holy Spirit was like, do not say a word about that. So I was like, okay. Instead, I said, hey, sweetie, can I just take you through this process of grieving? She was like, sure. So I just jumped over. All the students were with me, jumped over, start praying for this lady, walking her through this. And we got to the part of this story where we said, Jesus, where are you in this memory? She stopped and said, I wasn't a follower of Jesus at that time. Is Jesus still you if you follow him? I was like, well, first of all, he's omnipresent. But second of all, he said he'd never leave you or forsake you. He was there. She closes her eyes. I said, let's ask him. Let's ask Jesus where he was. She closes her eyes. And five seconds later, does this huge gasp <gasps> like this. I said, what did you see? She goes, I saw a picture of Jesus. He was outside the classroom knocking on the door. I said, invite him in. She goes, okay, Jesus, I welcome you into this memory. Come on into the classroom. She starts crying like crazy. We're praying over her. At the end of that whole thing, she looks up at me and she goes, the Lord just spoke to my heart. I know what I'm supposed to do. To seal this whole thing off. To keep memory. God told me while I was praying, while you guys were praying over me, that I should write down the first several verses of 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, and do it as worship to Him. I was like, I was going to say that, but then apparently Holy Spirit wanted the opportunity to say that to her because she probably wanted it for me, but I think He wanted to invite her Himself to do it in partnership or as a friendship move with Him. It's beautiful, man. So beautiful. Everybody okay so far? All right. Ask Jesus where he is in the memory. Now, here's the next point. It's really important to ask Jesus to heal the memory. Now, I don't know how he does this. I don't know the mechanics. I don't know exactly the process that he does. So here's what I tell him. I say, Jesus, I don't know how you do what you do, but do what you do to me. I don't know how to pull it off. I invite your healing here. And a lot of times, one of the first areas that he'll go to is forgiveness. I heard this one quote. I think it was Nelson Mandela that said that unforgiveness, harboring unforgiveness, is like drinking poison and hoping the person that you hate dies. Does that make sense? This is what bitterness and unforgiveness does. It's like, why don't you take a drink of the poison and then hope they die? It doesn't work that way, you guys. Bitterness and unforgiveness will kill you. There are like scientific studies about how unforgiveness and bitterness generate sickness in your body. This is scientific stuff. It's not just spiritual stuff, even though if it was only spiritual stuff, it would still be enough. This is holistic. It affects your body, soul, and spirit holistically when you do not forgive. And let me tell you this. If you're taking notes, this is something good to write down. The gateway for forgiveness is blessing. All right. Lots of times when you're engaging in the process of forgiveness, you don't feel like it. I don't want to forgive. That's why I've held it in. Somehow by exerting control over that person, you have the upper hand all of a sudden. No, you got the lower hand because unforgiveness and bitterness actually decreases the quality of your life, doesn't increase it. So you want to be a good forgiver. But check this out. If you want to jump in the direction of forgiveness you got to make a decision to bless that person. you got to bless them every time you think of them. Write it down. Set an alarm on your phone. Bless them 15 times a day. 
And let me tell you this, the best thing you can utter over somebody is blessing them with the presence of God in their lives. Bless them every way you can think of. Ask God to bless their finances, bless their relationships, bless the work of their hands, bless the dreams of their heart. Do you feel like it? No. But I'll tell you what, over time, your heart will align with your mouth. It will. That's the power of words. So if you don't feel it, or if you don't think that that's quite the right thing to do, listen, do yourself a favor and start blessing those people. You'll be a more healthy person. I got just a couple other things about this, and then we'll, we'll move on. So you sit with Jesus, you ask Him what was in the memory. You ask Him to heal the memory. And then you ask Him to reframe or rename the memory. This is huge. Can I tell you a story? Three of you agree? Let's have some feedback here, people. All right. <clears throat> All right. Check this out. Um, I used to do this music festival called Heaven Fest. Did you guys ever, any of you ever go to that or hear about it or anything? Okay. So my organization um, that my wife and I founded used to put that on. In 2012, we had this dream of giving all the money from ticket sales away to organizations that serve the poor. It was going to be hundreds of thousands of dollars. It was going to be awesome. In order to do that, I had to raise a million dollars in six months. And I didn't know any like uber-wealthy people at the time that could just stroke a big check like that. All I knew was just normal, average people. <laughs> Raising a million dollars in six months is ridiculously hard. I don't know if you know that, um, but it is tough to do. And so we worked our heads off trying to get all that money raised, and it didn't work. Now, that whole time, I was like trusting God to provide for it. So even up till the day of, I was like, God's going to come through. Big check's going to come down. We're all going to be fine. And guess what? It didn't happen. The day after Heaven Fest that year, my accountant called me and said, Well, you're $814,000 in debt. Your profit is. I was driving by a homeless gentleman and realized that that guy was $814,000 better off than my nonprofit. How do you deal with something like that in your mind? I was praying hours a day. I was raising awareness and funds for orphans, widows, the poor, all the things that God would like totally get behind. I felt like it, I had His blessing. I felt like I was walking in alignment with His Word. I felt like miracles, signs, and wonders were going to break out. And so many people gave their lives to Jesus. And this blind Buddhist guy got saved because both of his eyes got healed by a, as a group of YWAMers got around and laid his hands on him. And hundreds of people that were deal with, dealing with suicide got set free by coming up there during seventh-day slumber and, and they just praying for him, ministering to him, got emails, hundreds of emails. It was like it was an awesome thing. All this great stuff was being poured out from the kingdom perspective. And yet, I ended up $814,000 in debt. There's a, a big festival that happens in, um, in uh, uh, Las Vegas every year called the Electric Daisy Carnival. Three days, they make $50 million. It's a drunken orgy, and most people are running down are mostly naked and just doing drugs and drinking and listening to EDM music. Why is it that somebody that's doing that type of event makes $50 million in a weekend, and somebody who's trying to do the work of God gets hosed with an $814,000 bill? That will throw your faith into the toilet. That wasn't the only thing that was happening that year. I was going through an adoption process with my wife. We were going to adopt this beautiful baby that was going to be born. We were walking with their family for five months. The baby was born October 1st. Little girl. We cared for her for a day. Parents called up the next day and said, ah, we want her back. She get everything prepared and then it doesn't happen. And then the next ten days, they called, no, six days. The next six days, they called ten times. I hear this little girl screaming in the background. They didn't give her a bath. They weren't feeding her for six days, like on and off, just trying to get her to shut up, they said. Oh, my gosh. I was wrecked. I was like, if that's my baby girl, I'm going to come down and kick your door down, grab her out of there. You make up your mind right now. And I was getting a little feisty. My heart was blown to pieces. My wife blown to pieces. My family was involved in the festival. When it went down, 
Some family members lost their homes. I had to lay off people. I had to fire people. I went down. I started calling everybody I knew, and nobody was, like, responding. I, I had, like, in the drop of a hat, get, like, 300, like, high-level entrepreneurs or business leaders or, or so, like, social uh, social uh, leaders or whatever into a meeting. In a week, I could that happening. After that happened, nobody returned my phone call. See, people join around you when everything's looking good and sexy, but when it goes in the toilet, everybody evaporates because it's not a cool thing anymore. You've got to go. Something must have been wrong with that. Well, to me, nothing was wrong with it. I was just blown to pieces. I didn't know what to do with all this information, and so I just started burying it like crazy and trying all kinds of things to deal with it, and it wasn't working. I fell into a depression, depressed out of my mind, laying down on my cart in the basement, face down, no motivation to do anything. My son, who was just a little guy, he'd walk up to me and be like, Dad, you want to go jump on a trampoline? I didn't have what it took, man. I was just like, Hunter, I can't. And he knelt down beside me, put his hand on my head, and he was like, God, would you help my dad? Break free. Sweet little guy. I was so numb. I was so angry. I didn't take any responsibility for that whole thing for a while. I just passed it off on everybody else. Everybody abandoned me. Everybody failed me. God, you failed me. I did everything that was right. But everybody else screwed up. Until one night in November, <laughs> I'm sitting in the corner of my room in this chair, my sweetie, my wife. She goes, hey, babe, you want to pray tonight? I was like, no. Horrible attitude. She goes, well, suck it up because I'm praying anyway. And I was like, fine. She's great, man. She's great. She's awesome. All right. She starts praying. I'd heard all my life, you know, Holy Spirit's a gentleman. He'll never force himself on you. Holy Spirit body slammed me from the top ropes. He was like, dude, he wrecked me. I'm sitting in this chair just like, just getting smoked by God. And um, he started showing me. You're not taking any responsibility personally for anything that happened. So it's time to do that. Number two, you got all this bitterness and unforgiveness and blame shifting that you're doing toward everybody else, including me. He started naming those individuals and those people and those memories. It looks like musical cables coming out of my chest and out of my guts. He started naming them specifically. Set me free. I sat there and cried and cried. I hadn't cried in months. Just cried and cried and cried as God removed, called out, and brought healing to every single one of those deals. Check this out. I, uh, since 2012, have referred to that year as the crappiest year of my life, except I may have used different language. Which I'm not advocating for. I'm just being honest. You know what I mean? I'm just saying. It hurt. Last August, I'm driving through with my sweetie. We're a singer-songwriter duo, and so we uh, tour all the time. We were doing a California tour in August. I'm driving through the hills of California. I'm processing this grieving and loss thing that I'm talking to you about this morning. I got to this one where it says, God, would you rename or reframe a memory? I asked him, hey, is there any memory of mine that you want to rename or reframe? And immediately, driving down the Colorado or the uh, California highway, he said, 2012. I said, the crappiest year of my life? And he was like, that's the one. I said, okay, what do you want to name it? He said, I want to name 2012 Lifesaver. I was like, what? He goes, I saved your life. What? Saved my life? I almost died. He goes, yeah, I saved your life, man. I was like, how is that saving my life? He goes, you were working 80 to 100 hours a week. You'd come home and your wife's tears were streaming down her face, mascara everywhere, because she's like, you give your best to everybody else, and we get the leftovers. You can't even rest anymore because you're always looking at your phone hoping that a new email would come in. You can't Sabbath at all. There's no rest in your life. He said, if you would have kept on that current trajectory of success with Heaven Fest and all the other things you were doing, your marriage would have been in the toilet. You would have been estranged from your son. You would have been all alone 
and broken down, you'd have had a fire in your soul, and it wasn't from me. It saved your life in that season. Sometimes God wants to roll into the crappiest memories that you have. You've got this little inner dialogue and a little label that you use for him. He wants to put a name on the memory. He wants to roll in and help you reframe that so you see it differently, not through the eyes of victimhood, but through the eyes of God. Does that make sense? The last thing about this process is, and this is almost as important as inviting Jesus into your grieving, into your memories. You can't do it alone. Now, some of you guys are like, oh, man, I just wanted to do all this alone. No, you can't. You know why? Because God didn't make you to grieve alone. He made us to come alongside people whose arms are hanging down, whose knees are broken down. You come alongside each other. We weep with those who weep. We mourn with those who mourn. God didn't create you to grieve alone. So if you thought, you're like, sweet, I'll just take care of all this by myself. No. Here's another reason why it's not for you. Because your perspective on your loss is really limited. You go back to my Heaven Fest story. All I could think about was it was everybody else's fault, but I wasn't owning anything. That was my perspective. I needed somebody to walk alongside with me and go, dude, you didn't do everything perfect, man. You own some of that too. So I was like, ah, you know, we can't leave alone. Our perspective on our losses are very limited. So don't do it. Don't grieve alone. Now, check this out. If you want to get into a daily rhythm of this, get a grief journal. At the end of every day, just talk about what you lost and go through this process. God, here's uh, here's what happened today. Here's what I lost. I had some expectations of how today would go. It didn't work out that way. I had a, a little you know list of things that I wanted to get done. Those things didn't get done. Somebody accused me of something falsely. I got to talk to you about that. You go through the process, man. Here's what happened. Here's how I felt. Here's how I feel about it right now. Jesus, where were you today in this memory? Would you heal up this loss? Would you reframe it or rename it? This is a recipe for dealing, for me, for dealing with a lifetime worth of garbage. I'm going to close with this. In the book of Psalms, it says, The pain endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. I know that the word they're talking about there is morning, like like a.m. But I want to throw something out to you. What if pain endures for the night, but joy comes in the morning? joy comes to you as a result of the grieving process? What if you're not signing up for depression when you walk into this process? Instead, you're signing up for more joy. This is good news. This means you don't have to be stuck anymore with this boatload of stuff jammed down into your soul. You've been pushing on it for so long. This means that new life is is available to you. Now check this out. Let me just help you. A lot of us get into this place right here where we're numb and angry. And here's the process of Jesus. Jesus wants to do this. Okay, each of these lines represents a memory, right? That we buried, some loss that we encountered. Here's what Jesus wants to do. He wants to start healing each memory. And every time He does that, you regain in your soul the ability to feel more pain. But again, Jesus is a genius because He tied something as horrible as pain to something as beautiful as joy. And I don't think anybody in their right mind like, I don't need more joy in my life. I'm fine. No. No, you're not fine. Jesus wants to go through all your... Sorry, guys. Here we go. We'll get her down here. Okay. He wants to go through all these memories... And He wants to start regaining this ground in your life so that you can feel again, so that you can be joyful again. 
I thought for years the, the path of like the Christian life was you're moving forward and there's like squiggly lines and ups and downs in your journey and all that stuff. You meet Jesus and then you kind of change directions and it's still up and down because you encounter loss and brokenness and heartache and all that stuff. But it's like a different direction. Well, guess what? Here's what I want to throw out to you. What if Jesus doesn't want you to continue moving forward in your life? Maybe He actually wants to invite you. If your journey went like this, Maybe He wants to invite you back through all the ups and downs and the losses. And maybe as you deal with those and regain the ground in your soul, maybe there's new life that you haven't experienced in this direction. You know what that's called? That's called repentance, man. It's not just a continuing forward, but in a slightly different direction. It's turning back around and going through all of the memories and all the pain and all the losses that push down in your life and letting Jesus in there to heal you up, to show you I was there every single time. Let me help you get healed. Let me help you regain some joy in your life. This is the process of biblical grieving. What if in the grieving you find joy? All right, I'm going to speak a blessing over you. You guys ready? This has been champs. Sorry, I went I went a little long today. Um, this is thousands of years old, you guys. Uh, this process of blessing, and typically when people are blessed, they just go like this. So I want to invite you to try it. You don't have to do it. I'm not going to make you, and I don't care if you do or if you don't. But I want to invite you to open up your hands. I'm going to speak two blessings over you this morning. Number one, may you listen to your longing to be free. May the frames of your belonging be generous enough for your dreams. May you arise each day with a voice of blessing whispering in your heart. May you find a harmony between your soul and your life. May the sanctuary of your soul Never become haunted. May you know the eternal longing that lives at the heart of time. May there be kindness in your gaze when you look inside yourself. May you never place walls between the light and yourself. May you allow the wild beauty of the invisible world to gather you, to mind you, and to embrace you in belonging. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May He make His face shine upon you. May He be gracious to you, causing His countenance to rise on you, His presence to be with you. And may He give you peace in your bodies, your spirits, and your souls. May you have courage to grieve your losses and may all of the joy that's been stolen away from you because of a lack of grieving be added back to you. And may all the natural directions you go to get comfort in every other place but God. May those fade away. May Holy Spirit be your comforter for real. Bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.